Welcome to another episode of Culture Score. I am BT. This is Marcus. Culture Score is a podcast at the intersection of black culture and popular culture with a focus on film and TV. Today, we're covering The Fisherman's Diary, an award-winning movie made in Cameroon by Cameroonians, and apparently the first Cameroonian movie with major distribution. We're going to call this episode the 237 edition. That is like code speak for the folks who know. If you know what that means, you know. If you don't, you don't. But that's <laughs> culture score. So this is brought to you by Netflix. And I'm going to give a shout out to John Ford at Netflix. He's the head of creative studio at Netflix. And me and Ladam. His team creates the key art for the shows from those markets. So thank you, Netflix, for doing this show, doing this movie, producing it, or distributing it. The director for the movie is Anna John Scott. The writers, Chris Terrier, and the leads are Ken Quintus and Faith Fidel. Marcus, hit him with the synopsis. All righty. Um, first of all, just really excited to do this film. We This is like... We've done some films that are, um, you know, smaller budget films. We've done some films that are critically acclaimed. This is like our first kind of true independent international film. And with my brother here, BT, being a Cameroonian, I'm just really happy that we got a chance to do this because it's so poignant. 237? He's going to have to tell me what 237 is too, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have I don't to pay. Know you will have to pay for that. <laughs> So this is a film that is really beautifully shot. It's a film about basically a a daughter who is 12 years old and her father. And they, um, we're going to give you a few spoilers here. There's no way to tell you without giving you a few spoilers. Um, Her mother and her father's, I guess his wife is very ill. And so basically the majority of the movie is about the father and his daughter and their relationship. And this, this beautifully, acted uh, 12-year-old is is got a penchant and a love for learning and wants to be educated. But unfortunately, in this town, in this village, um, being educated is not only not something that is permissible, it's highly frowned upon, especially for young girls. Um, her father is adamant, her uncle is adamant that education is is no place for her. And the more they tell her no, the more she has a longing and a desire to be uh, educated. Uh, It gets her in a lot of trouble. Um, It takes her on a very twisted turn, um, which is going to bring about a lot of uh, powerful discussions from from us today. Um, Just some of the things that this young girl goes through. One of the things I'm hoping to get from BT is just how prevalent this is. Is this something that actually takes place? And we're just really hoping to delve into this, and it's going to deal with a lot of humanity. I think a lot of the conversations we had about film uh, in the last couple of weeks really deals with humanity, and I feel like this one, it is at the center of the story. So just, we're going to di- delve into it, um, just jump into it, and here, the first question I want to pose to UBT is, you know, this movie is, is from your, your, uh, your birth country. And this story really revolves around this powerful message about the role uh, the struggles of a young woman in her family and in this community. As I kind of, you know, briefly mentioned, um, 
this this place where it really seems like they're saying the woman's place is working, helping with the fishing and, and providing uh, in this village. But education is no place for a, a a a little girl or for a woman in this in this space. What did you? What message did you take from this? Um, can you give the audience like what your opinion is? If there's um, is this you know how authentic is this viewpoint uh, in your mind? Now, my personal opinion is it's very authentic. That's the first thing. And, and like you said, it's, it's a very unpretentious movie that tells a very human story that's real. Um, you know, at its core, the reason that if you watch the movie, there's no way that it leaves you neutral is because it's talking about something that, in this case, is localized to this community, this village in Cameroon, um, as told by the movie, but it's really something that's fundamentally human, right? The, the conflicts in the movie around, you know, her education and her role in the family, it, it's really something that, you know, one, if, if you watch it and it, it kind of feels like a stereotype to you, I'd say you step back a little bit and think about it holistic. That this is something that's very global. The struggles that the little girl goes through you know, to go to school, first of all, for our education, if you look at the construct of that immediate society that she is in, it's not necessarily that her dad, who, you know, played, uh, the, the, the actor that played that role, I think his name is Ken Quintus, he plays it very well. But, you know, it's, there's this love between her and her dad, and she's playing a very vital role in his ability to provide for them and to, to have the role of prominence that he kind of has in the community. Because, you know, they, they use the, the, the language. I don't, I don't know where they got that from. It says Kamtok, but it's really Pigeon. <laughs> he kept saying Kamtok, Kamtok. I'm not sure what Kamtok is. Maybe I'm missing something, but it's Pigeon. You know, his role in the community is kind of prominent because he's one of the more successful fishermen. And he's very helpful. You know, he has a conflict that, you know, stems from the relationship that he had with her mom and which sort of came from by her mom going to school, right? So all of that to say, you know, there's a conflict between their ability to subsist, which she plays a very crucial role in, and the role that school would have played if she were to, you know, opt to start going to school instead of staying around and helping and being that traditional helper that, you know, the woman plays in a lot of communities and a lot of households traditionally. Like if you think back to the times when, you know, a lot of subsistence wasn't really around your brain. It was mostly brawn. That's why the woman had all these challenges. You know, that's why the woman had to be at home while the man went out and maybe chopped lumber, while the man went out and fished, while the men went out and worked in the farm because they had muscles. And because they did that and they brought in the income, they had an outsized influence in decision-making, um, in governance, you know, you name it, right? So, that kind of stands out. That's just one of the many things that stands out, Marcus. There are other things in there. Obviously, the language to me stands out as well. We can talk about that some more. You know, the, the uh, let's just call it child marriage. It's another thing that stands out. Um, the community um, stands out. There's just a lot of things in the movie that stands out. But, you know, fundamentally, I think one of the core arguments or arcs in the movies are on education. And how that plays out across, you know, all the different emotional points that I told in the movie. So 
that's the one thing I'd say, you know, that's the premise of the movie. And then the other things kind of are built around that. Well, you kind of touched on my next point. And I want to just say that when I watch films like this, I always have a little bit of, I always have to check myself because I recognize that I'm an American and some things that Americans like to be shocked and awed by, I have to recognize it's not my culture. So I try to hold off on my judgments because our way isn't flawless either. So I I try to really keep that in mind as I watch this film, you know? And so when I got to the point of the film that clearly you, you kind of see pretty early on that one of the main reasons why the father does not want his daughter, which her character name is Diana in the film, doesn't want her to be educated is because when his wife um, became educated, at least the way it's shown, in my opinion, it seemed like she became a little bit the, the daughter's name isn't the daughter's name like Eka or something like that. Yeah, I think her it, their, their last name is Eka, but her first name is Diana. They kept okay. calling her Eka throughout the movie, and then almost at the end, they start calling her Diana. And when I was like, "Why are they calling her Diana?" But just everybody in the community seemed to refer to you by your last name. But once she started trying to do schooling, that's when I found out that her first name was Diana. So that's why I say that. But you kind of get the premise that the father was so adamant, not only because the whole town and community frowns upon women getting education, but also because when his wife got education, he felt like she now felt like she was better than him and ended up basically, for lack of a better term, that kind of destroyed their marriage. And so he was still very hurt by that. And when you kind of touched on it, um, and that's where I was going with it initially about trying to check my prejudice. This movie really deals with some really compelling and sometimes uncomfortable to watch. You know, when I watched this film, I, I ended up reaching out to BT and I was like, this is a really good movie, but I was extraordinarily disturbed by watching it. And and so I'm going to kind of let you all in on this. Like, So this, mar- this movie deals with child marriage. Um, it deals with barriers to education. And it has a very difficult to see rape scene. Um, this movie is very, very raw, but I think it's something that we need to know um, just just for humanity's sake, what's going on in other corners of the world. Um, I want to ask you just kind of very simply put, BT, like this movie, this story is extraordinarily raw. It's very difficult to watch, but yet it's also very compelling. Um, why is that so in, 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 your, in your opinion? Well, I mean, it it touches in a very unflattering way. It touches on things that we gloss over, right? So we've talked about education, which is difficult because that one is difficult to see, but it's something that we can wrap our heads around and, you know, kind of get intellectual and think about. The, the, the kid had, so the Eka, Diana Eka, she had, you know, an insatiable appetite to learn and willingness to learn, and also a very, she picked up things very fast, right? So she was able to come across and do some of the things that, you know, other kids that were in the school couldn't do. But the other side of it is child marriage, which led to the rape. And I think, Marcus, something you said is, th- there is a, I don't, we can call it cultural. There's a cultural construct to why, this is my opinion, by the way, so I'm not speaking for any Cameroonian, and I know we're just, you know, speaking our best selves here. There's a cultural construct to that whole concept of child marriage. And in this case, inevitably, when children get get married that early, 
there is, let's just call it rape. It's it's hard to think about the fact you send a kid off at 16, 14 to get married to somebody that's much older and think that there's not going to be that kind of behavior behind the scenes. But this movie just did a job of actually putting it in front of you, right? So there's that. But another part of it that I told myself and which we're talking about is like really to curb your appetite to castigate that behavior, which is terrible, right? And I can't pretend that I agree with it. I actually disagree with it. And, you know, you don't like how we feel. You don't want to normalize it. But with that said, there is a societal construct around why these things happen, which is if you think about the distortions of a community where, you know, you don't have enough for yourself and you have a child that in your mind is of age to get married to somebody that can take care of them. That's one aspect of it. You know, there are other aspects of just like, you know, back in the day of like the kings and the queens where you watch all of these old royal British movies where they're like, OK, you're from this family. Go marry in that family so we can keep the peace and all of that. There are aspects to that as well, where in the culture, in some cultures, you know, and I'm going to speak specifically in Cameroon for what I know, you know, good families or they'll say a, a family that's good, air quotes, right? They'll have a daughter and uh, there's another family that wants to marry into that family because, you know, that family just represents what is considered in the culture as goodness, you know, upstanding parents, you know, hardworking and all of that. And so the age, as much as it's, it's a big issue when you look at that number, they look at a child growing into you know, a certain level of maturity and say, hey, you're ready for marriage, which is exactly what happened in this movie, right? So there's that part of it. But if you pull back from it and look at, so I actually looked at this because I was like, man, does this happen in other cultures? So I went and like dug into it, um, the data, and they said, you know, I'm literally going to read this out. They said the highest rates of this, I'm not going to read it, I'm going to just paraphrase it. So the highest rates of child marriage in sub-Saharan Africa Right. Um, and this data is from the International Women's Health Coalition and it cites three countries. So Niger or Niger, if you want to call it that, but it's actually Niger, Central African Republic has Ch and Chad as the areas of the highest normalcy. So this is, these are the areas where that's normal, it's prevalent and all of that. But it said the, large, the largest number of child brides is in Southeast Asia, where 46 percent of the girls are married before the age of 18. Right. It also states that with the rise of instability, so where there are like wars or like skirmishes and hunger and, you know, internal displacements and all of those, it's a lot more prevalent, obviously, because from what it's implying is that when there's instability, then people allow their kids to get married younger because now the kids have protection from their husband. And I'm using air quotes again, but it's some of the things that came up from the article that I read and it said 37,000 girls under the age of 18 are married each day in the world. Wow, so that's, man, not, that's crazy. It's crazy, right? It's crazy yeah. when you think about it. You still you know don't what, BT, normalize it. Uh -huh, go ahead. Let me, let, me, let me throw this in because I think I just want to make this differentiation and I want to make sure you continue to, to make your point. I think it's important that we let you all know um, when we say child marriage, because um, I know people are going to say, oh, you guys are Western, you know, Americans, you look at things this way. For people who uh, have arranged marriages, who am I to judge? People who have arranged marriages probably have a less divorce rate than people who have free will over who they choose. And a lot of times I've watched films where those people are happy. And I get it. So I'm not judging that way of life. What I am saying in this instance, 
this is not a young girl marrying somebody else's young son. In this film, this is a 12-year-old probably marrying someone I would say is in their early to mid-40s. So I just want to make sure we make that differentiation because it's a big difference in, say, certain cultures. I, I, I don't know if, if I'm saying this right, so if I'm wrong, forgive me, but like maybe in, 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 in India or something like that where two families kind of put together their children and they're similar in age and they're like, okay, you have something in common. But when you're a 12-year-old girl and you're being forced to marry somebody who's in their 40s, And I I know people are going to say, keep your nose on your face, but I'm sorry. Like, it's not a cultural issue to me. It's a humane issue. That is rape to me, to force a little 12-year-old girl to be with a 40-something-year-old man who's going to have his way with her. So I just wanted to make sure that our audience had the differentiation between that, BT, because I think it's a big difference if you say, hey, this is an arranged marriage between a uh, an eighteen year old, even if it was, even if it's eighteen, that's still too old. But it's it's a you could say, okay, maybe that's just their culture. We stand back. But when you're talking about forty two and twelve, or forty five and twelve, I think that's a clear indication that that's a big difference. So I just wanted to make that point known, just in case we didn't do so. So I'm sorry for cutting you off, but I just wanted to let that be known. No, absolutely. And the part I was going to add to that is this is not what. Putting out this data, it's not trying to normalize it because, gee, if you think about the age gap and think about where I think about the mental development of a 12-year-old versus a 45-year-old, like what exactly do you guys talk about? Like what exactly do you like? It's just not it's not something you can comprehend as normal, but the big but is that there are cultural aspects to this, there's societal constructs around this that is normalized in certain spaces. You know, growing up in Cameroon, I heard stories of, you know, folks who would literally uh, point out that the lady will be pregnant and like, hey, if that kid comes out and is a girl, that's my wife. And when I heard it, they weren't talking about it as outrage. They were talking about it as something that was cultural and something that happens in this culture or that culture, right? So again, the relevance of a movie like this and the, the reason why it hits as much as it does, because really, in my opinion, I know we're going to get to the scores later, but these are the kinds of stories that wins awards because it touches on something that we can have lots of very rich conversations around of the whys or the why nots and, you know, really how the world looks at it. And, you know, we can, we can do this whole, you know, the Western world, um, you know, global North, global South conversations and say, well, there's that. And then there's also, if you want to make another argument about it, and this is not me being trying to defend or normalize it, you think about it and say, okay, there's the other aspect of, you know, sex tourism, right? Where there's this old farts, that leave these countries and go to Thailand and just pretty much rape kids and the other with the sex traffickers and all of these things that you don't normalize, but we have a conversation about. So folks look at it in their mouth and say, this is what it is. But th- there are all these notes about it that, you know, I tried to tell myself not to castigate it. I tried to tell myself, and I've shared this on prior podcasts. If you've listened to our other episodes, I've shared that one of the commitments that I made to myself it's not to fly off my handle and think that, you know, how I feel or how I see things is how things should be. Because very often, if you listen closely enough or if you try to learn 
and look at, you know, how the, what makes a people a people and, you know, how the societies are built and, you know, the stability that they have or don't have and all of those things, you learn a whole lot more and you tend to see where they're coming from because they have history behind them. Like they have culture, they have um, many years of practices that, you know, lend to their foods, you know, and their dance and some of these things that we don't necessarily understand on the surface, but that are really part of who they are and that's how they've, they've been built up, right? So to that, I mean, to that part of, you know, the, the marriage side of it, uh, Marcus, that's, you know, how I feel. Um, and I, I think I've touched on pretty much all the notes of, you know, what I know and what I am uh, as it relates to that. Well, I think one of the goals for any podcast, but but for this one specifically, is never to disrespect a nation, disrespect the way they're doing things, um, to be respectful of people's culture. But at the same time, this is our podcast and this is our voice. And so we get a chance to tell people and, and, whether you agree with it or not. And, and we welcome discourse. We welcome, um, if you like what we say, if you don't like what we say, like you don't put yourself out there without knowing there's going to be some disagreements. And watching this film, you know, the shot in Cameroon, and this is like my first time seeing Cameroon on screen. I've never seen it. So this is my first time. And with us being friends and colleagues and things of this nature for the number of years we have, I've always been intrigued and interested to see what it looks like. And um, to watch this film, you never know if you're an outsider such as myself or most people who are watching this at home, um, if it's a stereotype, is this a more realistic depiction of what it's like, the people are like, the, the look of it. Um, so, you know, for people who aren't from Cameroon, who has never stepped foot in Cameroon, who, who will see these characters, and some people may say, are they caricatures? Is this really how people are? You know, and, and again, I don't mean for you to sit here and speak on behalf of an entire nation, but just for <laughs> what you know, you know, because I, I mean, respectfully, you know, like when people say like, oh, Marcus, is the South really racist? I'm like, well, I can't speak for everybody in the South, but I can tell you this. There's just as many good people in the South as there is in the North or the, or the East or the West or wherever. It's the same, you know, but do we have aspects of it? Yes, but that I can only base it on my experience. But I think you have a unique lens in that that is your birth country, but this is your home country. So I'm just asking you, like, what would you tell the audience not to do when watching this movie? Like, what, what preconceived notions would you ask them to put to the side while watching this movie? This is a movie that... It's as gritty as you get. And the reason it feels that way is you don't have like, you know, set design and you don't have sound stages and you don't have all of that. So they're telling a story where people live. They're telling a story where people work. They're telling a story where people reside. And there are lots of things about it that are real. With that said, if that's all you think Cameroon is, well, then you're the person that I usually would tell this story and Mark's probably going to laugh that, you know, I grew up chasing lions and tigers and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you're that person. One more time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't start saying those things. I, I say it out of jest, but it, there's also some seriousness in it, right? So to me, like, it's actually, Mark knows this guy I'm talking about, Ankit is my, my colleague, he was actually the first guy that told me that there are no tigers in Cameroon. And I had to go check. 
He was like, dude, there are no tigers in Cameroon. Shut up. And I had to go check. But so you're laughing, right? You're laughing. But the reason that stuck was because I'd been telling that story to people for so long and nobody had ever checked me that I didn't even bother to check myself, right? But if that's... Well, I assume you know your home better than I do. So who am I to sit here and critique you? But <laughs> well, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm never going to hear that line again without popping you in the back of your head. Because I'm like, stop giving that. <laughs> I may not have had that, but I did get chased by bulls and I did ride horses and I did fig pigs. But your story always sounds so much more elaborate because your animals sound dangerous. I'm not listening to you no more. <laughs> but so to that, I'll add that in Cameroon, there are fishing villages and there's a vast percentage of Cameroon that have never seen that. There's a vast percentage of Cameroon who live in like really big, urbanish, sprawling villas and big old compounds that have never seen that, right? But to go tell this story in this particular environment and this particular space, it keeps everything so close together that the story ties together, right? If you had, if this dad was somebody that went off and worked in an office, then his daughter had to go to school because he gets it, right? But because they told the, the story as the dad was a fisherman and apparently illiterate since he had a problem with his wife going to school and coming back and talking down to him, it brings the story together. Right. To tell the story about school and give you this image of kids, you know, sitting in a building. By the way, that's those kinds of buildings in Cameroon are called Carabot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're called Carabot, right? And to, to tell the story in the way that they did, it brings it all together in a very intimate way. So it allows you not to veer off and, you know, see a car that's stuck in traffic. Oh, see, you did see motorcycles that are going around, you know, but they're just going around in this little village community and there's nothing distracting from what they're telling, right? So if all you see is a reaffirmation of the stereotypes that you have of, you know, poverty, you know, lack of education, um, a culture that's manipulative and a culture that's full of deception and all, if that's all you see and that's where you stop and you don't pull back and say, they just told a fundamentally human story. In the, in the right place to tell it so you, you don't get any distractions, then you need to check yourself a little bit. Because really, um, there are no stereotypes in that movie that are fundamentally Cameroonian or that you can't find in anywhere else. Like this, And this is the thing about stereotypes and this is the thing about poverty. We've talked about Skid Row. We, we talk about you know education in America. We talk about education in the world. And so to me, those are the things that I, I keep telling people, like when you want, for, if you get a chance to watch the movie, yeah, you're going to see those, but look at them as an accessory to the storytelling because it really helps it um, pop off. And then last thing is the language, right? So I mentioned before that, you know, in the subtitles, they kept saying cam talk. I don't know what cam talk is because that's clearly pigeon that's speaking. But there are certain things that they use that just don't translate. Um, you know, the, 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 the pidgin language in Cameroon, it's, you know, you can find 10 Cameroonians and there'll be maybe four out of the 10 if they speak pidgin. They can speak it in a way that the other six won't understand. So it, it's influenced. It has a lot of local influences. You know, to, to some it's influenced by dialects. It's influenced by French. 
It's influenced by literacy level. It, it has a lot of influences that um, you just couldn't do subtitling for. Um, I'm almost thinking if you had just dubbed it, so you don't hear the language at all. But then if you do that too, it takes something from the movie, right? But it's like a word, a couple of words that they used in the movie that I thought really lent to it. Um, one was, um, you know, the the main character kept referring to Diana Eka as small mommy, right? It literally mm-hmm. translates as, you know, my little mother, which is what they kept they kept using in the subtitle. Right. But that's correct, but it misses the density of what that actually carries. Because one of the things in Cameroon is that they tend to name children after people. So Marcus is your uncle and we like Marcus. So we're going to call you Marcus and your embodiment of what Marcus is. And so usually, you know, if you're named after somebody's mom from a very young age, they start calling you that, they treat you that way, they reinforce some of the behaviors that, you know, their mom had on them. And then you become that person unconsciously, right? So if you remember in the movie, there was a time when the little girl kind of like roasted some fish and in the, mm-hmm. the kitchen where they were sitting, you know, the dude was like, hey, you did this just like my mom, right? They keep reinforcing that. And so even though it translates as little mother, it's, it has more density. There was another part where um, they said Asia, which Asia and Pigeon, it, it translates as sorry. But to be honest with you, I cannot find an English word for it. This just so when you say English. sorry, like just out of curiosity, do you mean sorry as in like an apology or sorry as in somebody is like, oh, that that person, that's a sorry person. Like it's bad, like a negative connotation. Like in which which way would you say that that sorry is, is applicable to that? So there you go. I, I'm glad you asked it that way. It's none of the above. Okay. And okay. so and so what it is, it's very cultural. And it's 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 based on I think for Cameroon and some of you know the West African traditions, and Nigerians do have it too. Um and it, what did that what did Nigerians say? I think Nigerians say something along the lines of well done, oh, something like that. But Asia and Pigeon, it means um so let me give an example. Marcus is walking along the street and Marcus falls, right, and bumps his head. You slip, you fall, you bump your head. And somebody says, oh, Marcus, Ashia, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is, I feel your pain. I empathize with you. It's not my fault, but I feel your pain. So in the equivalent translation, they'll say, sorry. But sorry, Mm -hmm. it's like you're apologizing for something you did. Ashia is like, you're telling them, you're passing on. You're sorry for it happening, maybe? Is it more like, I'm I'm sorry for it happening? Right. I'm sorry for that happening to you. It has nothing to do with me, but I didn't have to explain it that way because this is the word for that. That makes sense. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, just to kind of jump back to something you said a, a few moments ago about stereotypes, I would, I just want to caution people when you watch these kind of films, especially because this is probably one of, if not the widest release of a film ever being made and shot in Cameroon. Don't look at a film, and because it's the only representation this film has ever had, think everybody, it's like monolith, like that's who everyone is. Like imagine if you watched, I don't know, Black Snake Moan or something that was made in rural um, Louisiana, or does everybody in America look like they came out of New York City? 
So just just understand that. And I think that's one of the misfortunes, especially from people on the Western side of the world. We're so used to being fed these negative images of Africa where people don't have anything. I wouldn't even gauge these people in this film. If they are poor, the movie isn't really depicted like they're poor. It's depicted like they're working class. Now, do their houses look like America's house? No. But I kind of felt like, are they affluent? They're not. Are they having to work hard each day? They are. But you never get the feeling that they're lacking their basic needs and there's a ton of love. And, and, it's, and I just want to be like really stress that because that's one of the things that I hate when people watch something and you just automatically assume that everybody is going through this. And let's be clear. One of the things about this film, too, is that the father and a lot of the men in this society, at least in this film, in this particular uh, town or or in this particular uh, community, there's a ton of chauvinistic behaviors. And we have a ton of chauvinism. (laughs) A ton. And does that mean that every man in Cameroon is uh, a chauvinist? No, it doesn't. But let's be honest. Do we have our share of chauvinistic behaviors here? Yes, we do. We totally do. So I just, I think it's really important that when people watch it, like, take it for what it is for this movie. This movie, we, we will continuously use the word raw. It is raw. It is at time uncomfortable. Um, but it, it's also entertaining and it's enlightening. And it's similar to, like, um, I'll use another big movie that came out probably about a decade ago, Slumdog Millionaire. When Slumdog Millionaire came out, like, yeah, it was educational. It was like a, a, a view to something that a society that we don't always know. But seeing that these little kids were maimed and people was taking their body parts and they were using them to like, I don't know, uh, try to get money from people. There's, a, there's another side to it. There's, there's an underbelly to every society and, and no matter where you are. I think for me, uh, for this film, the, the, some of the stereotypes that people could depict from it, it's the same stereotypes that you could find if you were in England or Italy or America or whatever the case may be. You know, kind of wanting to kind of jump into the to the next thing here, BT, really quickly. It's like certain certain points come out of this movie very strongly to me. This is a movie about perseverance. I mean, Diana is, I'm going to tell you what. If there's any man out there who thinks they have it as hard as women, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> Unless that woman comes up with a silver spoon in her mouth and she's just super affluent or something women always have it worse than men. And I'm going to tell you what, watching this movie, for me, watching this little girl, all that she went through, to me, it's like a superhero movie. Just the mere fact that she was able to survive this and thrive. It's just an amazing accomplishment. And and the fact that it's based off of is is this based off a true story? Did I is am I is am I correcting it or is this fiction? No, I think it was just inspired by but, oh, inspired um, by. But it, it's 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 something that happened. So it's not a specific st- I don't think I didn't pick up anywhere that it was sp- a specific story that was told, but it's it's a societal aspect that was elaborated on. Well, I mean, we're getting to a point where I really want to know what your thoughts is for this movie. Um, I'm really interested in what your your take is because you know, there's this is a a, a podcast where this is near and dear. Um to BT and honestly, me too. I love learning about new cultures and I just, I really enjoyed this film, but I really, you know what? Maybe I'll go first on this one because I feel like you're going to have a lot more that you can deep dive Are you about into. to do the score? Yeah, unless you want to do something, you want to say something. No, no. Then. So one thing before you do that, um, 
just to talk about these kinds of movies and the fact that Netflix is really leaning into them and, you know, Amazon Prime. I think this is, I, th- I think one of, one of the things we, we have to talk about is the shift in telling different kinds of stories and the fact that there's a platform to tell these different kinds of stories, right? Because otherwise we keep these thoughts and we keep these stereotypes as painted by the news, you know, many years ago, as it's been painted in the media of, okay, well, yeah, this is, you know, primitive people that, dis- you know, disconnected from the Western world and all of that. But now we're seeing, you know, Netflix coming up. And I'm just calling out Netflix yet because I know they've done a great job. I know everybody else is getting on that train, right? And we're seeing a lot of these distributors now, you know, Hulu, Amazon Prime. I'm sure Disney Plus has this in the docket. I'm sure Peacock's going to do it too. Some of them are not actually producing it. They're just buying and distributing the movies, right? But I think telling these stories in different places with different people, with different storytellers, you know, is allowing, we talk, we, we, we've touched on this before, Marcus, it's allowing folks to feel empowered to tell stories the way they are and not the way they're going to sell. Amen to that. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, I think it's really important to point that out because this is something that the more we do that, the smaller the world becomes. And it's, you know, to me, it's a much bigger. There's going to be a day when we have, instead of the Grammys, you're going to have Culture Score Awards. Knock on wood, that day's coming. <laughs> Don't laugh, yes, man. This indeed. is the vision. <laughs> you're going to have Culture Score Awards. And, and these are the kinds of stories that you want to win, like the Nomad Lands, right? That we've done before on this podcast. These kind of stories that are about humanity, these kinds of stories that are about, you know, the carpool combos of who we are, right? Hate, love, friendship, manipulation, you know, family, candor, deception, you know, hopelessness, hopefulness, triumph, right? These stories that are really fundamentally human that don't require big muscles to sell or like naked bodies to sell, but that really make you sit and watch them and go, huh? I felt something by watching this, right? So See, I, really I feel like just you stuck. just you just took away all my intro from my uh from my score. So you just kind of <laughs> laid right, the groundwork. Right, no, 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 no. I love that. No, I love it. I, I want to say the same and and just being, you know, completely just real with you, like kudos to Netflix for being brave enough to put something like this on. This is not the kind of film that would have been made anywhere five years ago. And to be told in Cameroon with Cameroonians that like it's so important that we we talked about this so much on this show but when you're talking about mass media film television music print whatever representation is not just important it's vital and is it always going to be perfect is it always going to have a hollywood ending no some movies are going to be gritty um a lot of learning comes from feeling uncomfortable look what's happening in this country right now with the race riots, what's happening to the Asian community, LGBT community. It's, change does not happen unless you feel uncomfortable. It does not mean that you need to run from it. I think you need to run to it because my mom used to tell me all the time that what you run from, you will run right into. So I think when I see somebody's pain or I see somebody's story, I want to have empathy. I need to watch those things. And I won't lie, there's, there's a scene in this film that made me extraordinarily uncomfortable. And but it's it's important to know um, we need to be a nation. We need to be a people, a world where we're not just getting these human highlight films like it's an ESPN highlight reel just on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, because a little sometimes a little snippet just doesn't tell the whole story. 
Um, this is a movie about perseverance. This is a movie about overcoming. Um, this is a movie about being pigheaded, about being lonely, um, about being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Because uh, like the uncle played a huge role in just, you know, just doing something so heinous all because of some debts that he had. And I, that character just really annoyed me because I know people mm. like that. They will sell <laughs> out their family. They will sell out their own brother just for a buck or just to get themselves out of a situation they had no business being in. And we all know people like that. So that's, it's universal. Um, kind of saying all those things, like, again, kudos to Netflix for having the, the wherewithal to make this film. Um, the young lady who played the main character, who played Diana, um, what was her name again, BT? What was her, um, was it? Um, Faith, uh, Faith Fidel? Yes. Faith this little Fidel, girl, let me tell yeah. you what. To, if anybody from a studio ever hears this movie, if you're not trying to cast this little girl, shame on you. Um, to me, Man, she carries she, this she entire. She played the heck out of that she, movie. She carries this movie. Her role. Think, oh, my God. Oh, she, she was amazing. It was like Tom Hanks and Castaway. Um, I can't remember the movie with Will Smith where it's pretty much him the whole time with a dog and he's fighting. all. I mean, like to have one person have to carry an entire movie. I don't know if she's ever acted before. Um, I didn't do a deep dive into that. But let me tell you what. To be a 12-year-old little girl and to have to play a role that is this intense. Um, I thought, um, you know, watching Audra Day in the Billie Holiday movie, I'm like, wow, for that to be your first film and you'd have to take on all of that, how impressive that was. Now imagine that, but you're 12. And you got to play, be in a rape scene. And you have to watch your mother die. Like, and to be able to convey that on screen at 12 years old. Um, to me in the movie, she kind of plays a prodigy. And I think in real life, she's a prodigy. Um, this is her calling. So I hope that Hollywood and other studios will call upon her and help her name uh, reach the highest stars because she carries this movie, you know, such a flawless nature. So getting to my score, um, very difficult movie to watch, but very important to see if that makes sense. Um, the performances are great. It just goes to show that People have talent everywhere and their stories need to be told. Um, there was a couple times that it was a thing, a few things that I would have tweaked, to be honest with you. Um, sometimes the scoring, it was a lot of music and the music was really amazing. But sometimes I felt like the scene was a little bit more somber than the mu music they chose. Yeah, you just stole one of mine. You just stole, you just stole. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it was a lot of music and sometimes the music was just way too upbeat for the moment. Um, right. That was just my personal opinion, but I, I don't want to take up all this time because I've been giving you this whole tease, but let me just jump to it. This is a movie that I, I highly suggest uh, for the performances, for the learning uh, nature of it, and to give Cameroonian, I, I hope people will go there more often and not just Cameroon, but also go to other places that are not often seen on camera. Um, we need to see more stories than just what's in New York and London and Beijing and whatever else, those typical places. Um, I'm going to score this film a solid four out of five is my recommendation for this film. All right, BT, floor is yours. My score is a very solid four as well. Okay. Um, and really, I don't know there's much else to say. Um, the movie's very well, the storytelling is very well done. The story itself is very pertinent to 
it's very pertinent to society overall, right? Because it, it tells us something that we can connect to behaviors that have not really changed, even though they've changed, right? We're still struggling with a lot of things about. So I, I think about this and I say in the US, we still don't have uh, a female president. Think about it across the world. Muslim countries with a culture that, you know, is much tougher on females as far as them being able to come out and, you know, being able to assume some rights in society that we think are normal. Again, I don't want to poke into that culture, right? But, you know, in the eyes of, you know, a lot of um, folks in the Western world, you know, they look at, you know, Islam as, you know, um, suppressing women and all that. There's some countries that have had female precedents, right? We're talking Pakistan, for example, right? So, I think to me that this movie touches on a fundamental aspect of society that we gloss over because we keep thinking it's other people's problems. So I give it a solid four on that. The, the music Marcus has talked about, I had that on. The editing in some points is a little bit choppy for me. I really wouldn't have allowed, you know, if, if I edited or directed it, you wouldn't have seen the rape. I would have allowed you to imagine it and give you the power of your imagination to kind of get you to what that is. But to Same. me, that was I agree. That was disturbing. I, like, I was like, oh God, you don't need to. And, do I mean, that. and maybe that was the, the intended effect, but it was just it was it jarring. was a, yeah, it was jarring, <laughs> right? And then at the yeah. end too, like when she graduated from um, school and she was delivering that speech, I'm like, what is this? Like. Is this from a different movie? Is this her that graduated? You know, the yeah, makeup I did too. Was... That's why I thought it was a real story. That's what made me think she's <laughs> yeah. story. Like, oh, is that the person who we've been watching? The actual story person who this... graduated. Yeah. Right? So, and that wasn't really confirmed. They didn't really answer that. So, I agree with you on that completely. Yeah, it wasn't anywhere. But you know, with that said, you know, the writing was great. The directing was great. The choices were great. You know, I have actually choosing, you know, where they shot and telling the stories around, you know, a fisherman and in a community that's not very disturbed, that distracts from the story, I, I thought. So I give it a solid four. I, I think it's, I highly recommend it. If I watch it again, I'll probably skip that rape scene. And I will watch it again because I know, you know, some of the the subtitling, like I said, uh, me watching it and thinking, oh, we got to talk about this on the podcast. I, I'm, I'm sure I missed some things, but I'll just watch it again just to... um you know, kind of take my time and let it come to me, you know, a little different, not being so analytical about, you know, me watching it. So very solid four, um, absolutely recommend. And for Marcus, who doesn't know what 237 is, 237 <laughs> is the country code for Cameroon. So any Cameroons that are listening like, yeah, 237, <laughs> that's what it is. 237 is a country code for Cameroon. So um, that was all just right, me well, giving big a ups, shout out Big to, ups to all the Cameroonians out there. Big ups to you. And uh, I, I, I won't forget now that I know. So I'll make sure I get that. And the next time anybody yeah. here being talks about some lions and tigers and rhinoceroses and all that stuff, just give them a nice little <laughs> pop in the back of the head for me. <laughs> Courtesy and of yours truly. If, if you call me, <laughs> if you call me two three seven, you're getting a pop knock forehead. Pow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will say this before I let you close this out. Um, one thing I, I hope that you also do um, for so many people. I know it has been a hard and tough year, and the movies is a form of escapism. And so often we only go watch the movies that somebody recommends or that's getting all the buzz. Um, I, you know, I, and I get it. Hey, the Fast and the Furious, the superhero movies, I get it. Those, 
everybody wants to have that escapism. But I would just, I would just really say in the world of streaming, the Netflixes of the world and the Amazons and the Hulus and the Disney Pluses and HBO Maxes and all of them, take the time to watch some, some lesser known films. They'll teach you so much. They'll open your eyes to so much. We are two cinephiles. We absolutely love movies, like just love movies. And we hope that you enjoy us bringing these to you every week. And hopefully um, we'll start doing a little bit more of these to kind of not only talk about the movies that are getting all the buzz, but to kind of push your horizons a little bit and, and get you to look at something that maybe you otherwise would not have checked out. Because how many times every year do people be like, oh, I never heard of that movie, but because it won an Oscar, I'm going to go watch it. But how many movies got passed over, didn't win, didn't get nominated, but they're just as good, if not better. So we hope to continue to bring those to you. And we hope that you'll go on a journey with us and give them a, uh, give them a check, you know, check them out. And uh, we hope that you will definitely give this one um, uh, some of your time and uh, let us know what you think. So with that being said, BT, take us out. So as always, you know, thanks for spending time with us. You know, we enjoy doing this. Um, we appreciate you listening. Um, we love the feedback that you're giving us, the notes you're sending, you know, the recommendations for what to watch. You know, listen to the podcast. If you're doing that already, you know where to find us. We're on all the major podcast distribution spots. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, um, we're at, at speak.studio. So speak, D-O-T, studio, um, one word. And also, um, we're part of this platform that's called Speak Studio. And, you know, really what it is, is we're creating and curating voices that tell stories that we usually don't hear. So I'm going to make a recommendation of a podcast for everybody to listen to. It's called I Know How This Book Ends um, by Amy Impelizeri. And what that podcast is about is they, they, they bring authors female authors um, from a brand that's called Tall Poppies Writers, the little publishing house that works just with female writers. So what Amy does on her podcast is she interviews these writers and authors, and they talk about, you know, what's behind the curtains of what motivated them to write a book. They're all authors, so they can tell you things that you usually wouldn't know or other interviewers wouldn't know to ask them. Because when they're doing the rounds of their books, they're best-selling authors and all of that. So again, you know, check out, I know how this book ends. Wherever you listen to podcasts is great um, on Speak Studio. And if you want to follow us at speak.studio, um, leave us your reviews, download, like, follow. Um, we appreciate you for listening on behalf of Marcus and BT. It's Culture Score, and we just did The Fisherman's Diary for you. Have a good one. Peace. Take care, everybody.